When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sox fans, it is Southside Sox Mothership Podcast number 75. It just so happens it's a very special one for 75. I didn't plan it this way, I promise. As always, I am Brett Ballantini. I'm your host for the Southside Sox Mothership Podcast. We usually keep these pretty inbred. We got like 50 staff members, so we usually just talk to each other. You know, that's how we do things here. Occasionally, special occasions, we go outside the family to talk to someone. And that's what we are doing for number 75. And it is going to be a special one. Sit tight for as long as I can keep this guy, because we're going to have a great conversation about the coming Veterans Hall of Fame uh, ballots that will be announced on December 5th. They'll be voting during the winter meetings. They probably already made their decisions, but we're going to get to all that administrative stuff here. But my guest for number 75 is Adam Dorowski. It's great to have a Paisan. Great to have a fellow Paisan with me here on the uh, podcast once again. He is the head of user experience for sports reference. You know, that's baseball reference, football, dodgeball, all of them. He does them all. But, you know, deep in my heart, he's Hall of Stats. And if Hall of Stats sounds familiar, that's because whenever you're voting, every year we do our, now we're doing three Hall of Fame votes. Uh, you're always seeing references to Hall of Stats because I, it's it's been a godsend for me. I've learned a lot just by checking out his site. This is before I even got to Sports Reference. Uh, I've been following Adam. I've been a fan before he was even like oh, a Sports Reference, a baseball reference guy. At any rate, he also does a podcast that's terrific. You're going to want to probably listen to that. Anticipating here in the next couple of weeks, the announcement of maybe some White Sox going into the Hall of Fame. It's the Building the Ballot uh, podcast. I've been trying to catch up. Uh, it's a lot to catch up if you got 12 episodes, but uh, that's what I've done. Adam, with that intro, thank you for being patient. You may speak now. Thank you so much for joining us on Southside Sox. Oh, Brett, thanks so much for having me. That was uh, <laughs> quite the intro there. Really appreciate it. And it's worth, it's worth adding. He's got punk rock cred, so he fits right in with Southside Sox. You know, he, he could fit in here. He really could be part of the family. Uh, <laughs> and I think we're going to get to this, but I think he might even be rooting for a couple of White Sox around this time or next month. So, you know, he really does fit in with Southside Sox. So, you know, listen, uh, open invitation, Adam. Uh, see, this is how serious things are. I've got like a whole page of notes to refer to. <laughs> Usually it's just half-ass, off the cuff, and now I'm trying to actually be legit with the man. Adam, again, thanks for joining us. Let's talk a little bit. First half uh, or first portion of this, want to talk just a little bit of the esoteria of the Hall of Fame is something you've obviously been um, plugged into for a long time, certainly um, probably as long as I have or, or, or longer, and some of the minutiae and some of the politics. Uh, over the years, 
since you've been paying attention as, as, as a hobby, as an interest, uh, as a profession, uh, what sort of emotions year after year when guys aren't getting in, when worthy people are being turned away, when voters simply aren't even maxing out their ballot on something as like elementary as a veteran's ballot, where it seems built in, you really need to come close to maxing out that ballot. Over the years, frustration, uh, anger, are you just hopeful every year? Oh, boy, there's been quite an evolution. Um, so when I started the the Hall of Stats, that was like 2012. So we're, oh, my gosh, that's coming up on 10 years now. So I was like a, an angry Hall of Fame enthusiast. I, I was so mad about people not getting into the Hall of Fame that uh, I started the site just to say, oh, the, the, they're getting it all wrong. These are the stats. This is what this proves that these guys should be Hall of Famers and the guys below the threshold should not be. And, and that was kind of the approach that I took then. And, and I have to say, I've kind of evolved over time where, um, first of all, uh, I think it was like a couple of years ago, I, I kind of started to let go from the BBWIA process altogether and just kind of like every conversation about the BBWIA ballot, it's not about baseball anymore. It's, it's terrible. It's like, there's like, well, how bad are steroids compared to domestic violence and things like that? I, I don't want to even think about it anymore. And then add Kurt Schilling on top of it. And yeah. gosh, it got so frustrating that like there was one year, a couple of years ago that I basically kind of sat it out. And I have to say that the era committees have kind of been my path back in. And that's where the, the podcast came from. It's it's a podcast that will never, ever touch on a BBWA ballot. It's only, <laughs> it's only addressing the era committees and these overlooked stars of, of decades and decades ago, sometimes a century plus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just things like the rediscovering so many players through the Negro League stats uh, that have, have come to light. Uh, so that's kind of the joy that I take from the Hall of Fame now is remembering these guys. Uh, and, and really just enjoying it as much as I can. I try to see the positives. You know, I didn't get mad about Harold Baines. I thought I was going to get mad about Harold Baines, but I didn't. So I said, you know, good for Harold Baines. He got in. And, you know, you, you might see some names I'm advocating for on this ballot that uh, might surprise you. Uh, and it, it's, it bears uh, saying that in terms of, I can never get the name straight, but in terms of the very old, the pre-1950, I think, ballot, which is also coming up here, uh, it's obviously less White Sox oriented. It's not something we're going to cover here, but it's definitely something you'd want to listen to the the Building the Ballot podcast for, because that is covered perhaps even more so than the, the um, whatever this post this 1951 on where Mignoso and all this is on, uh, you know, that's, that's something that uh, uh, readers, listeners are going to want to check out that we're not covering here because it's really great stuff. The discussions are terrific. Uh, the engagement's a lot of fun. And, and you actually get to sort of trace a little bit of evolution of, you know, anticipating the ballot and reacting to the ballot, predicting the ballot. Uh, and it's fun stuff. That's something that uh, you definitely want to check out after you finish listening to our Southside Sox podcast, of course. Uh, okay. So then these, uh, it, then the emotion is perhaps, um, I don't know, relief, hope in that they're starting to get it right with the way they're beginning to do veterans ballots, or are you not uh, confident enough to say that you have to see some results first? Uh, I do have to see some results first. I can't <laughs> say it's relief. I, I think some of the, the positivity is maybe me just learning to let go a little bit. Like I, I probably took it a little too seriously. I mean, it's really not a good look that the top two candidates on this golden days ballot 
passed away since the last time they were considered. That's, that's terrible. And I think that uh, even in the announcement, you could see that they like, they pointed out which candidates are still living. So I have the feeling that they're realizing this now too, and, and might make a, a, a case to prioritize the living candidates this time so that this doesn't happen again. And that might come at the expense of some more qualified candidates, but I can totally understand mm-hmm. prioritizing the cases of living candidates. And yeah, I'm with you in terms of some of the emotion and some of the frustration over these ballots, because it just seems like a sim- it's, it, it seems like a significant responsibility. Of course, it's, that's not rocket science. All right. But it, it seems like so many voters, even on these more select committees, don't really take it seriously. I mean, even in the example of Harold Baines getting to the Hall of Fame, it just seemed like, a, uh, again, not necessarily question Harold's worthiness or, or whatever. And it's a sweet story. And he's, he's, a, he's a very good man. But the idea that there's like some kind of like strong arming and lobbying to get him in because, you know, this was the time to strike with him. Uh, it's frustrating. And when, uh, you know, on site every year, you know, we do have, you know, one, two, three, now three uh, different elections around this time beginning. We do a veterans ballot. We do just a White Sox Hall of Fame. And then, of course, we do the regular Hall of Fame ballot. There's always discussion. And there's, there's you know, there's always the naysay commenters who are like, oh, the Hall of Fame's stupid. You know, who cares? It's just a joke. I don't care about it. I don't get worked up about it. And, and okay, that's healthy. But at the same time, this is a sport we love. Um, this is an extension of what we're seeing on the field. This is worthy of debate. And, and sometimes I get frustrated when people don't maybe get a little bit agitated about it. Cause it's like, you know, this is in a way you sort of want to see the good rewarded. You want to maybe see, it doesn't really come up the bad punished, maybe the bad delayed, but you sort of want to see how this plays out. And when the system seems so continuously broken or wheezing along, you know, from a fan standpoint, if something we should be celebrating instead, as you already pointed out, we're talking about all these other things. Uh, it, it can be pretty frustrating and, and it, it diverts from, you know, the, the meat of what we're talking about. Yeah, it, it certainly does. I, I think in, in many things lately, I'm just trying to lean more on the positive side of things. And honestly, like, I want to see inductees. Like, it, I, it, <laughs> there could be quote unquote mistakes. There could, but you know, that, these are all good candidates on both of these ballots. If any of them got in, it would be a good thing. So I just hope that we don't see like these these split votes that end up leading to nobody getting in and then we lose two more candidates before the next time and it's all for nothing like the, the last time this group all got together it was a shutout and <laughs> it was pointless the whole thing was pointless like dick allen came a vote shy tony Oliva came two votes shy uh jim cott was two or three and minoso only got eight out of 16 which I don't want to even try to explain that one, but holy cow. Um, I just want to see some people get in. Now, in spite of the premise, the clever premise of um, the astute premise of Hall of Stats, which I think, if I'm not misrepresented, is basically taking the number of players, people inducted and applying the, what the, who the true and most worthy number would be. And that's the cutoff. That means some people are going to be asked, they're going to be escorted out. Some people aren't in and maybe aren't, have never even been close to getting in, do get in. And they're the cutoff. It changes. It's a sort of a living document, but that said, Adam, are you, are you more a big hall? I think I have this answer already. Are you big, more a big hall uh, a person? Is that sort of where you fall on this rather than exclusionary? My answer to that question is always, I'm a big hall person because it's a big hall. <laughs> like what, like 
you know, it's like, am I a green sky person? It doesn't matter. The sky <laughs> is blue. Like that, that's, that's just the way I kind of look at it. So <laughs> if the standards are set, yeah. that's the one I'm using. So yeah. that's, you know, that's really it. <laughs> the, the standard is established. Yeah. I, and, and I uh, probably laughed black, the black humor of it, but you know, the idea that the last time this vote was held, no one was elected does seem to point even not just in the, um, the baseball voters, the, the larger group of 500 odd or whatever it is now uh, voters who vote yearly, but even this more select group instituting some form either of just bureaucratic incompetency where they cannot get together in their discussions and just agree to make sure one or two players, even if they're not your guy, you have to nominate a a candidate for president. You have to do that. Uh, And it seems like these candidates don't, uh, uh, these committees don't always do that. Um, Do you think even in these smaller committees in the past, and unfortunately, hopefully not next month, uh, there's some still some persistent gatekeeping going on with the hall? I hope that's not still the case, but I mean, when you look at the vote totals, it looks like the votes are being used. Okay. They don't give us the whole results. But I think the issue is more that it's a math problem, that there's only 64 votes to go around for 10 candidates, which makes it very difficult to get yeah. an even a inductee or, or two, like, especially if you have like one or two candidates that have uh, a lot of votes and get in, then, then it kind of sucks all the, the, uh, the votes out um, from the rest. But that would be a good thing because you're getting inductees. But this last time we got like, you needed 12 to get in. We had two guys with 11, one with 10. I think we had one or two with nine, one with eight. So that's the problem there is it's really hard to get 12 plus when there's so many good candidates. And the premise of these committees are, I'm not making this, this isn't some fiction I've created in my head, right? I mean, the, the, the note, obviously in the pandemic era, the things change a bit, I suppose, but the premise is that there's discussion, there's communication mm-hmm. among those voting presumably to build consensus. I'm guessing, I'm guessing there's not fistfights. It's strange that there can't, there can't be consensus building. Even if it comes down to, I know these guys aren't voting every year um, and the, the personnel always changes. So you can't say, well, okay, I'll, I'll get you next election. If you vote for my guy, I understand it doesn't work that way or can't work that way. It's frustrating though, that it appears to be, it appears to be just like 16 people sitting in separate rooms who, who don't even know each other. Uh, unless I guess Harold Baines has a chance to get elected and then everybody's his best friend. Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably the chairman probably comes down to the makeup of the group because the today's game era committee that, that put Lee Smith unanimously and Harold Baines with 15 out of 16, they clearly got together and decided what they were going to do. Um, another one is the 2013 uh, pre-integration committee really worked together well. That was the year that the BBWA pitched a shutout. Nobody got in because of the, uh, the steroid candidates that hit the ballot. That was uh, Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, even hit it at that Sosa. And then even um, Craig Biggio. Uh, there were rumors back then about him. I don't know why still, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so the pre-integration committee, this is the pre-1947 committee. They got together and they... <laughs> I don't know if they they were told to to find inductees because there weren't going to be any, but they put in um, Hank O'Day, a 19th century umpire, Jacob Rupert, the old Yankees owner that everybody forgot wasn't actually in the Hall of Fame. So they were like, oh, we got to put him in. (laughs) Uh, 
uh, Deacon White, the the very first player to bat in a major league game. Uh, I love Deacon White though. Like he was a very, very important figure in the early game and was a deserving candidate. And then uh, Bill Dolan, who's actually on the ballot again this time, only fell two votes shy. They put two votes shy wow. of having four, four. inductees. Wow. And that was unbelievable. See, that's how to do it. Those, <laughs> right. they should be doing, they should have the PowerPoint and just share it with everyone else. For God's sake. Uh, okay, before we get to White Sox candidates, I'll do, I do want to also acknowledge that there's a little bit of a different tone. I think, you know, whether you're going to call it hopefulness or not, um, there is a lot of hope being put into how they're doing things now. And a part that's been driven by how all fans this year are, have changed and how they're looking at the game. I think it's a project that was driven um, by a number of different sources I think it's uh, uh, Seamheads, I don't know if I even have that right, who, who drove a lot of the Negro League recognition and did a lot of the research in terms of starting to put together records that we just didn't have. But what I'm getting at is, is some of this acceptance, uh, when, we, when we click on baseball reference, we see at the very top, I think, still, you know, Negro Leagues or Major Leagues. Uh, it's something that's being trumpeted now. It's it's clearly legitimized in a way that in not all fans' minds, uh, the Negro Leagues were. Um, this, I think, going forward means that even if Negro League candidates in the in the future are going to fall short and are still somehow unknown to, to some of these uh, committees, uh, they're not going to necessarily, those players aren't necessarily going to fall off or be forgotten. I think these candidates are here to stay, and it's a matter of um, not when, uh, not if, but when. Uh, and baseball reference, and even probably stretching back even to Hall stats, but certainly the, the work you've done with uh, baseball reference, sports reference, um, helps legitimize the Negro Leagues in a way they weren't until, uh, you know, maybe just this year where it now is sort of universal acceptance and thank goodness. Um, the, the emotions that the, you guys at baseball reference and just sort of how everyone's come together to, to finally make this right and, and have the major leagues respond, have major league baseball respond uh, has to be enormously uh, satisfying. It was just an absolutely incredible project to be a part of. Um, even today, I was proofreading uh, a book that we're putting out with Sabre uh, about many of the articles that we commissioned during that project too. Uh, so many great authors and researchers were a part of this project. We invited them all because it was very important that we did this right because the Negro leagues were very different than the major leagues. It was not your 162 game evenly split schedule. It was very much uh, like, I don't want to say haphazard, but it was, it was a shorter regular season and unbalanced. The best teams tended to play against the best teams far more often and in between those those games, they would play barnstorming matches or or against anybody else that they could, A, to raise money, B, to raise awareness of what they were doing. And, you know, so some of these smaller towns could see some of these stars like Satchel Paige and, and Josh Gibson, who probably uh, definitely played in far more cities than than your, uh, your big major league players. So it took like a... We had to do a lot of unraveling of 20 years of assumptions of what a major league was on the, the back end of, of baseball reference. But uh, we, we put in our, our best attempt. We shared it with all these researchers. We got some great feedback. We've changed a lot of major things along the way as well, based on their feedback. The entire team was working on this for 
weeks, months, uh, months for some. And it was just incredibly fulfilling to see how people embraced it and to see how these Negro League players are now in the conversation now on Hall of Fame ballots uh, for the first time since 2006. And seeing the impact of some of the stats like Mini Minoso uh, now has over 2000 hits yeah. and, you know, has some additional all-star appearances and things like that. Uh, it has, I was not the best uh, student of the Negro Leagues before this. And I have to say just seeing the stats on the baseball reference page and, and within all the baseball reference tools, like stat had uh, made it just, it reinvigorated my interest in like, history in general just like learning about these players because so many of these players you, you only knew you know the the fables about so to speak but uh now you can see like actual stats that they had against other top competition and you can start comparing them and contrasting them and seeing per 162 game numbers or doing some defensive regression analysis and and really starting to learn about the types of players they were and it's just opened things up for me so much like even the the building the ballot podcast one of our episodes was me just talking to Scott Simkus of Seamheads for like two hours. I've got this list. I'm like, tell me about this guy. Tell me about this. Guy. <laughs> like that podcast. It, it was just, I love the ones that I just sit and learn. <laughs> and then you get a researcher like Eric Shalek who takes those, uh, those, the stats from Seamheads and he runs MLEs or major league equivalencies. Mm-hmm. And he, he tries to see like, if you plucked uh, Josh Gibson and dropped him into the major leagues, what would his stats look like? And he does all, all types of adjustments. One of the adjustments he does for Gibson actually is he moves him to first base. He doesn't think he would have stuck mm-hmm. as a catcher. So that, that's one thing that he sees. And uh, like Mini Minoso, uh, he would not have been in the minor leagues uh, in, in those 1950, 51 seasons. Uh, sorry, uh, 49, 50, um, if he was uh, a white player. He just never yeah. would have been stuck behind all those players and, and could, could have possibly been moved to another team earlier, you know, yeah. things like that. So all of a sudden uh, Eric's uh, MLEs have Mini Minoso as a 65 war player. So suddenly that, that kind of changes how you might look at him. Yeah. Uh, it's just, there's so much to learn now. It's, it's an incredible time. Thanks to, to all those stats. And I was just thrilled to, to play a little, a little part of it. I was kind of the, yeah kind of coordinated things like uh, I got this great article from Joe Posnanski. I'll edit yeah. it and put it here. And I just, I'll test everything. You know, that was the thing that I was doing. Uh, oh, testing all day. And it was just beautiful to see. Yes. And had to like take on the huge rush. Cause I know what I did. I imagine what a ton of fans did when this sort of came, you know, this strange, like Christmas in February, whenever it was, um, you know, came up. And the first thing you do, you want to start clicking. You want to start looking. You want to say, first of all, you want to see it. It's like getting the baseball card for the rest of Hey, I got my first satchel page baseball card. Mm. So first you want to just devour it all. But then you also want to look, you know, you want to get into it. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there was some heavy heat placed on all these sites because I know the first thing I did was like, okay, this is the news. <laughs> Click, <laughs> checking it out because, uh, you know, I mean, it really was like a Christmas day kind of situation. Oh, yeah. And, you know, now, now we've got, Negro league players showing up on the, the uh, born on this day page yeah. and things like that's the first page I check every morning. I'm like, who's interesting here. So I'm learning about new Negro league mm-hmm. players every day. And it's just, uh, it's been a fun year for, for learning and, and baseball mm-hmm. history for me. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that question and part of Adam's answer is a perfect segue into our second half. We're going to take a quick break and, and drill down into, well, we're going to just call them four White Sox candidates. That's sort of a lie because really just maybe a couple, but, uh, oh, we're claiming all four. We're going to talk specifically about the four guys on the, uh, the golden, I never get it right, but whatever, the, uh, the more recent ballot. <laughs> golden <laughs> days Minnesota, era. Yeah. Golden days era ballot. The mini ballot. Here uh, right after a break, we'll be back in one minute. Stick with us. Hey, White Sox fans, Brett Valentini here hosting, oh yeah, it's a special one, podcast number 75 on the mothership with a pretty special guest. It's Adam Dorowski. Uh, yeah, you might know him from Baseball Reference and Sports Reference. Uh, some of us, you know, some of us really liked, I mean, no offense, Sean Foreman or whoever else, but uh, liked his, you know, maybe liked his first band a little bit better. Hall of Stats, man. Check it out. Hall of Stats. It's still going and it, and you learn when you check that out. You learn. It's not baseball reference. Okay. It's Hall of Stats. Check it out. Uh, we are talking, uh, Adam, now about the White Sox candidates, a whole four of them, uh, on the uh, golden uh, ballot. I'm never going to get it right. Thank golden you. days. Thank you for continuing to correct me. I should have written it down on my big page of notes. Uh, but I was so overwhelmed by my show and tell here. Yes, this is my childhood autograph of the leather bound extra innings one of his first memoirs i guess uh from many 1983 um my dad said hey brett you want to go camping this weekend you want to see mini and i looked at him and i said is this a trick question (laughs) because i think you know the answer and that's what we did uh first up i guess the most likely to be inducted but there are still caveats there uh, but certainly it seems like some momentum is finally, finally, finally in Mini Mignoso's favor. Uh, as Heck, as a contributor, this guy's got a legitimate case uh, as a Hall of Famer in his own right. Uh, Jaws has him as the 18th best left fielder ever to play. You might call him. I don't even know what the tools are. I never remember this stuff either. You see, this is why I need notes, Adam, because I don't pay attention to enough. I'm not smart enough. But, you know, you could call him a five-tool guy. He definitely had speed and power. He was a devastating speed and power guy. Defended uh, at two positions. He was a three-time gold glover defender at two positions in the major league, both infield and outfield. 53.8 war if you're adding now his Negro League contributions per baseball reference negligible postseason, which often can have that sort of esoteric impact for voters. Uh, and unfortunately, in the 2012 vote, which I was very close to and which uh, thought it was definitely thought that many was, if not a shoe in, had a really great chance, nine votes. And three years later, somehow he slips uh, after many people acknowledge a pretty big injustice in 2012 and 2015 slips to eight votes. Uh, is there confidence that many might get to 12 this time around? There is confidence. Um, I've been trying to figure out like what I think is going to happen. I was listening to a, a podcast uh, that Joe Posnanski was talking about this. He seems convinced that this is the year that, that uh, Minnie goes in. I think Minnie's competing with two things here. He's competing with Dick Allen, who is another great candidate, great uh, White Sox candidate, and and was just one vote shy last time. And like Minnie passed away since the last ballot. And they're also competing, like I alluded to earlier, with living candidates. So the question is, are Allen and Minioso put in because the, the committee is acknowledging the mistakes of not putting them in, 
Or are they focusing on Oliva, Cut, and Maury Wills because they don't want to make that mistake again? So this is the the dynamic that I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I would love to see like them all agree. Let's put in Alan, Minoso, Oliva, and Cot. Use all of their votes appropriately to get four in. That has never happened before in one of these era ballots. I don't think that's going to happen. So then I'm left to choose what I think will happen. And if I had to guess, I would say that a living candidate is probably going to steal Minnie Minosa's spot. Uh, in other words, that Dick Allen would have maybe more momentum and more of a case even than Minnie. I think he has a little bit more momentum. Um, not sure about more of, the, more of a case. Yeah. He's a fantastic candidate, but I think he clearly has more momentum because he was one vote shy last time. I think Oliva has more momentum because he was also one vote shy. If I had to guess, I would say it's Allen and Oliva. Now, Dick Allen, uh, now that we've spilled to him, uh, 161st on Hall of Stats with 115 Hall rating, uh, 58.7 war. 1972 MVP, fairly late in career MVP for, for, a, for only one MVP, sort of late in his career, of course. On the south side of Chicago, uh, also rookie of the year, seven-time All-Star. Uh, and another thing crazy about Dick Allen is he had a high eight-war early in his career and late in his career, uh, I think eight years apart. I'm guessing you don't always, I mean, I'm sure there are some guys, of course, the Barry Bonds of the world, perhaps, but common guy, I don't think you see that kind of, well, you probably don't see those kinds of individual wars all the time, but certainly that type of spread is, is pretty crazy. Per Jaws at third base, Dick Allen is the 17th best third baseman uh, ever. And when you look at his similarity scores on baseball reference, uh, Hall of Famers just pour out uh, or potential Hall of Famers, David Wright, Willie Mays, Duke Snyder, Chipper Jones, Gary Sheffield, uh, another guy with negligible postseason, thanks to those Oakland A's of the early 70s. Uh, we claim him as our own. I think Dick Allen embraced Chicago as his own, even though it was a very short and somewhat tumultuous time in Chicago. He saved the White Sox for the South Side, and he would be a person that I think all White Sox fans would just be thrilled to see get into the Hall of Fame. Adam, he uh, fell short. And I want to say, I had this in my head. I could be representing it wrong. I swear to God, the announcement came that he didn't get in. And then we found out, I want to say the next day he passed away. Am I making drama up? Did that happen? I, I swear that's how it happened. No, he passed away in 2020. But what happened was the vote was pushed back from 2020 because of COVID. And he passed away the day it was either the day after or the day before the vote was supposed to take that place. That was in my head. Okay. So it didn't really happen. It could have, and and maybe it would have happened. I think, day. yeah, I think he passed away the day after. So if, if they had, he had, had gotten in yeah. and if they had had the vote, he would have had that one day to at least know. And I think that that type of story is what's going to stick with a lot of these, mm -hmm. these committee members too. Mm -hmm. And that type of thing, I think will give him a little bit of an edge over Minoso because Minoso passed away. I think it was like only like three months after the, the last mm -hmm. vote. Yes. After stating several different times that the only thing he still wanted in his life was to be in the hall of fame. And we all know he's going to be in the hall of fame. It just seems so strange that you can't, you know, and listen, even if it does, even though this is a, you know, a, a White Sox discussion podcast, the idea that 
guys who are already gone and only can have family members and the official like acknowledgement for what good it's going to do them. It isn't um, to, to pause them knowing they will get in to be able to rush guys up um, again, not, not before they die. No, you know, Jim Cott be around for a long time, you know, Maury Wills, whoever, but uh, to be able to get them to be able to celebrate when, again, it's just probably a matter of, of when, not if Tony Oliva is in the hall of fame, you know, why not do it now? I can say, I hope if there's a shift in philosophy, if something about these, you know, 16 guys or whatever, they get their act together enough. If, if that's what they have to do to say, okay, guys, we all can agree are worthy. We are going to prioritize every ballot. It's hard not to get behind that because this is a big part of what this is for too, to, it is a celebration. Yeah. That was my, my big shift since the last time this committee got together, because even before, even when I started doing the building the ballot podcast, which was just a few months ago, I was like, my four are Alan Minoso, Boyer and Freehand. Like those are my four going into this. Nobody's going to convince me otherwise, but I definitely was convinced otherwise that this is important. Seeing the things that have happened to Alan and Minoso and, and we lost freehand too. freehand right. didn't even make it on the ballot. He's never been considered by a veterans committee election yet. You know, a, a player like Buster Posey retires and everyone says, Oh, he's a hall of famer. Well, Freehand's kind of Buster Posey, like Freehand, uh, Thurman Munson. Like these are very similar candidates. Mm-hmm. Personally, I would put all three in the Hall of Fame in yeah. a heartbeat, but uh, Freehand's just not getting that chance. But this is not a Detroit Tigers podcast. Um, <laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> we're, we're ahead of them in the sand as these days. So we can, but, uh, I can be. Bless you boys. Just give me a call. <laughs> we can even pretend that like Jim Cotton, Tony Oliva are like, you know, lifetime twins. We can pretend that Jim Cotton is on a white tax. We can, we can do that. We can be gracious because, Hey, we finally won a division after however many years. Uh, Dick Allen is a guy who uh, obviously has this controversial reputation. I think the argument can very easily and accurately be made that a ton of dirt was kicked on him before he ever kicked any dirt back. He certainly, he certainly, uh, you know, played his own song and did his own thing. But uh, this is a man who uh, obviously it's a given that Mignoso went through just untold uh, harrowing uh, ordeals in trying to become not just a black baseball player, but a black baseball player who didn't even speak the native tongue of the country he was playing in. But Dick Allen 10, 15 years later is encountering things that in some ways are far more hostile uh, and he's a guy who wasn't afraid to push back and it didn't make him a lot of friends. Uh, d- does time help heal uh, this sort of stuff with a, with a, what you might call a controversial candidate or a controversial figure like Dick Allen? Does time heal at all? Or do some of those resentments, do they never go away? Oh, so let's see. So the time healing um the views on Dick Allen. I, I hope that time would have hopefully in turn, like provided Dick Allen some healing because, you know, the, the complaints about his personality was a whole bunch of like white people complaining about how a 20 year old black guy in Philadelphia uh, in 1963 was supposed to behave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he pushed back because, you know, there was, <laughs> it was not the greatest scenario for him. And I think that if anything, over the last couple of years, hopefully this has opened our eyes to that uh, acknowledging what Dick Allen was up against and what Minoso was up against. You know, like you said, he was the, I think he was the eighth player to break the color line, but he was the first that also had to break the color line with that language barrier. 
and if there's anything that we've learned from like 2020 and, and, you know, now the Negro leagues or major leagues were reading more about like the conditions that were happening before Dick Allen's time, you know, if Dick Allen's born 15, 20 years earlier, he's, he's in this Negro leagues or major leagues project. And it's a totally different thing. That's not very much time. Like, and uh, it's, it's not like Philadelphia was one of the, the first cities to, to, wise up to that either i i mean i'm in the the new england area i I can't say anything about that but my god uh yeah but so yeah i don't like the using the the personality and things like that against dick allen because if you listen to his teammates Mm -hmm. they all say wonderful things about him and uh most of his managers too i I, there might have been a a manager or two that he had a problem with but you know who hasn't well and and that and not to dis, not to disparage, uh, you know, say a guy like Ron Santo when they were teammates with the White Sox. Obviously, Ron Santo had a, a just a terrible experience on the South Side for the year he played. Mm-hmm. But the guy who stood up for the type of hazing and uh, uh, picking out of players that Ron Santo was doing was Dick Allen, a guy who could have just gone and, and bet the ponies like you like to do, or ate the chili dogs in the back of the clubhouse like he did that one time and they came out and hit a home run. Uh, no, he stood up for guys uh, because he thought that was important. And, and I would guarantee you, well, I mean, probably not a hundred out of a hundred, but certainly a majority of fans, if you put those two guys next to each other, uh, I'd say, okay, who is the better teammate? Who is the better leader? And again, not to disparage Ron Santo in the least, because his Cubs experience was very different, but certainly through the White Sox lens, uh, it's unquestionably Dick Allen. And, you know, we can pretty much very easily see, all you have to do is put up the picture and we can guess why people are going to point to Santo and not Dick Allen. That's just a horrible handicap to have to play with. And this is a guy who dealt with it for a Hall of Fame career. It, it never stopped for him. Right. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Dick Allen, but I don't think the one thing that we've, we we haven't really covered yet is dude could hit like (laughs) hall of fame hitter. Like I I keep throwing this stat out there. Players with 7,000 plate appearances, his OPS plus of 156 is 15th all time, all time, not among players outside the hall of fame, not, you know, among, you know, right-handed hitters, not, you know, since so-and-so, no, all time. So he did one thing really, really well on a hall of fame level. Sure. He wasn't a great defender, played some third base that had some value. Didn't do it particularly well, but I don't want to talk about any of that. He had a hall of fame bat and that alone should get him in. Yes. Memorable and clutch and exciting and never took the helmet off. Unfortunately, wearing it on defense for ugly reasons connected to, I believe, Philadelphia as well. But that's a different podcast, you know. Um, uh, Another guy, I mean, we we consider here on the South Side, uh, Manny Mignoso as, I guess, sort of Mr. White Sox, but a guy who can very uh, make a a strong case as Mr. White Sox pitcher uh, is the next guy I would like to talk about with you, Adam, and that is Billy Pierce, a guy that even White Sox fans, even myself, a lifelong fan, might tend to underrate somehow and not have ever taken until probably very recently his very legitimate Hall of Fame case, uh, seriously, 227th. In, uh, in, uh, in a hall of stats, uh, 101 hall rating, which means he doesn't got a lot of, uh, he doesn't got a lot of wiggle room, but he's there, uh, close to Wilbur Wood. So, uh, golden, um, rotund, uh, knuckleball pitcher era committee. When that ballot comes up, 
please get Wilbur on. He deserves at least some token consideration for sure. Uh, 53.4 war for Billy Pierce. Uh, Jaws has him as the 102nd best starting pitcher all time. All-time great acquisition by the White Sox, trading essentially nothing. Sorry, Detroit, you keep coming up, but trading mm-hmm. essentially nothing to Detroit and rescuing Billy Pierce from Motown and allowing him to star in Chicago for 10 years until the White Sox sort of unceremoniously sort of dumped him as well. And he had a really great uh, sort of swan song in San Francisco, incredible uh, World Series after getting passed over for some strange, like, personal reasons in the 1959 World Series and pitching just four scoreless innings in 1959 he had two starts and was absolutely terrific for san francisco in the 62 world series age 35 um uh completely overlooked a guy in in my eyes and i'm a huge white Sox fan so uh i have a feeling that billy pierce is is sort of a sort of one of your guys adam given that now you're a white Sox fan for the purpose of this podcast uh it seems to be a guy that you've maybe recognized sooner than me uh how serious this guy was yeah, although I do have to admit, when you first reached out, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about White Sox? That's easy. <laughs> Dick Allen, I can talk about him. Minnie Minoso, I can talk about him. Billy Pierce, uh, what do I say about Billy Pierce? <laughs> Billy Pierce requires like, all right, here's the thing that that blew me away. I was talking to Chris Bodig of, of uh, Cooperstown Cred on, on my podcast about Pierce. And we were like, oh, well, Billy Pierce is definitely the best pitcher that's still available on the golden days era ballot. Like he's, he's definitely the best pitcher. And then we said, well, maybe that's because, you know, this era has been picked over pretty well for pitchers. So then I looked that up just to confirm it because never just say things, just just look it up to make sure that. So from 1950 to 59, just taking the decade of the fifties, that is the golden nest of the golden Mm -hmm. era, right? He started pitching war among pitchers. And the only pitchers ahead of him are Robin Roberts and Warren Spahn. Fourth in wins, third in Ks, third in ERA plus, fourth in ERA. Like, these are good numbers, like, for the entire decade of the 1950s. And to have him not really be considered very much, I, I, I do love the idea of having Pierce in this conversation. Seven-time All-Star. He started three games, mm-hmm. uh, three All-Star games. Uh one thing uh, in the episode with Jessica Brand, uh, we were looking at Billy Pierce too and, and noticing how it seems like his best numbers never aligned at the same time. Like he didn't have his big win years the same years as his big ERA years. Like when he had the 1.97 ERA, he's 15 and 10. When he has a 3.03, he's 15 and 14. Actually leads the league in losses. Then his 20 win seasons, ZRAs are like 332, 326. Even uh, the, that late season with the the Giants when he went 16 and six, he was ridiculously good at home, but on the road, his season ERA was 349. So it seems like he could never put together that that one season that had all the numbers together. Um, I saw in his Sabre bio that uh, Rob Nyer wrote that his uh, 1.97 ERA, when he had that uh, ERA below two, it was the only season from 1947 to 62 that a pitcher had an ERA under wow. two. I didn't realize that. So, and the other thing about Billy Pierce that comes up fairly often is that he's essentially a carbon copy of Whitey Ford, right down to like 0.1 war difference between the two. So like Whitey allowed fewer uh, 
runs and about the same amount of uh, stars and, and innings and whatnot, but uh, he also had better defenses behind him. <laughs> he, his, uh, the teams that he faced weren't quite as good because he didn't have to face the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierce went up against Ford an awful lot, actually. Uh, the, the parks were more forgiving for Ford and, and that type of thing erases the gap in war. And they're essentially the same pitcher. I think he's got a great case. Um, now with freehand, not on this ballot, if I was just placing my votes based on merit. So I would still have Boyer third and then Pierce would probably be fourth. Uh, unless I gave Danny Murtaugh uh, some, some right. really additional uh, time, but I'm not as big as uh, a manager hall of fame person. I, I focus more on the players, right? But yeah, I think Billy Pierce uh, for the longest time, when I launched the hall of stats, he was literally the guy on the borderline and he's basically hovered right around there the whole time. So I've kind of always used him as like, he, he should be the Hall of Fame borderline. It shouldn't be like, I don't know. Some people say, you know, that for the longest time, we couldn't get Mike Mussina in and he, he's way over the line. Yeah. And that, but then you also let some, some players in like, I don't know, maybe a Lee Smith or something who right. is way below the lines. No, Billy Pierce is probably what the Hall of Fame borderline should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just a great, uh, <laughs> a, a decent, a truly decent man. Uh, you know, again, not that this stuff weighs in, but it's just, you know, it's a shame that, uh, you know, he's another one who's gone without even, I mean, here's the thing. He never even got to see the, the drumbeat of a hall of fame candidacy start candidacy start to build. I mean, maybe that's more agonizing, right? Minnie's thinking he's in, you know, probably two or three different times. Uh, that's probably more heartbreaking and painful where Billy Pierce says, I'm going to be in the hall. Come on. I'm not going to be in the hall. You know, I'm lucky I got my number retired by the White Sox. Uh, but, you know, to not even make it to the point where it's like, hey, listen, he's in the conversation to the point where he, I would I like to think, and certainly Hall of, Fat, Hall of Stats says uh, that it is going to be, again, a matter of when, not if for Billy Pierce. And, you know, it's a shame that there's no inkling at all for these guys who are, you know, who are now getting to the point where they're even, even long gone. I guess I didn't realize he passed away like right around the time that Minoso did. So that, that was not a good time for White Sox fans no. to lose both of them at the same time. No. Um, One thing that you mentioned yeah. just now that I wanted to follow up on was mm-hmm. you mentioned that he's a nice guy and not that that stuff is taken into consideration. What, there's a character <laughs> clause. That's true. Why do we only <laughs> use that for bad stuff? Like Adam, it's been a rough five or six years. This stuff has been drilled down into me. I'm not supposed to pay any attention. I know, but (laughs) if like there are so many things that could put Minnie Minoso in the Hall of Fame, like it should like he's a he was an incredible guy and was the very first uh, Black Cuban in the major leagues. He integrated the city of Chicago. that stuff alone probably gets him like, I don't know, 80 or 90% of the way there. Then add the fact that he had a quote unquote borderline hall of fame career. <laughs> if you're only looking at the AL and NL, but I don't Do you have time for a mini minute? So rant. Oh, that's, oh. <laughs> what do you think we're waiting for? <laughs> All right. So uh, his 1951 rookie year, he just blew everybody out of the water fourth and MVP should have been the rookie <laughs> yeah. of the year. I, I, I'm afraid to mention that around a, a <laughs> Chicago person. Um, that's why I'm going to make sure never to, to bring up the, the, the Gil McDougald name um, beyond that. 
1946, when he's 20 years old, Minnie Minosa breaks into the Negro Leagues with the New York Cubans. 94 OPS plus. Not a bad player, but, you know, 20-year-old that's starting things off. 21, boom, he's an all-star. 1947, he is hitting 356 in the Negro Leagues, 406 OBP, 508 slugging, uh, leads uh, leads the league in fielding percentage at third base. Uh, what's If there's one thing we've learned about the best players in the Negro Leagues is that they are among the best players in the major leagues. Yeah, it translates, all, right. Yes, yes, he was already an all-star at 1947 at 21. So in 1948, he's with the Cubans again. He's an all-star again. This time he's got a 170 OPS plus. <laughs> leads the league in fielding percentage again at third base. 344, 481 OBP. He's playing in both East-West All-Star games. Spotted by uh, Abe Saperstein of the uh, Globetrotters. Signed up to the Indians. They don't have room for him. They're a championship team. Yep. What are they going to do with him? They put him in the minors. Well, his first little stop in the minors, he only hit 525 in 11 games. <laughs> But then uh, in 1949, he, he played nine games with Cleveland before they had to figure out where to stash. And he, he went three for 16, you know, huge sample there. Mm-hmm. But then he goes to San Diego and he hits 297, 371, 483. He's got 22 home runs, 99 runs scored, just a huge year. So, of course, they put him back in AAA. So he's 24 years old now. This is a guy who already, like two or three years ago, was an all-star in the mm-hmm. Negro Leagues. And he's hitting... He, he, he hits 339 in AAA, 405 OVP, 539 slugging, 40 doubles, 10 triples, 20 homers, 130 runs scored, 115 RBI, 30 stolen bases. And then he comes up in 1951, wins, wins rookie of the year. Is this like a huge surprise? Like he was ready? No, he w- should have been mm-hmm. a major league player for years at that point. Mm-hmm. And that most of that was not included in his uh, major league record. Some of that is now, now that we've added the New York Cuban stats for the, uh, the Negro leagues up to 1948, but those lost years that he was tucked in the minors, you know, you could look at that. And I think voters in the past have looked at that and said, well, we can't count it. He was in the minors. He wasn't in the majors yet. Well, where was he supposed to go? His team wasn't going to play him because they couldn't have too many black players at once. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't trade him because nobody else had any black players yet. There were like three teams that had integrated at that point. So there's nowhere for him to go. So they just keep him there until he forces their hand. Then he gets traded and blossoms. So mm-hmm. he finally gets traded to the Indians because they had already had Satchel Page. So they had already integrated uh, uh, multiple times, actually. So, yeah, that's we on the surface, maybe you looked previously at his like 1800 hits or whatever it was before this update and thought, you know, no, that's not quite a, a hall of famer, but if you a add the Negro league stats, B consider that the Negro league seasons were shorter and he should be given uh, more of a boost for those seasons. And then like the, the minor league season, those were not traditional minor league seasons. Those were not like, I'm just, you know, figuring out my game. No, he was already an all-star at a major league level and he was still in the minors. So that's why I'm very, very adamant about his hall of fame case. Cause even without all that stuff, he's a hall of famer. Like even before you even consider the pioneering aspects, add it all together. And you've got like 
two or three Hall of Famers in mm-hmm. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and and I love the fact that now with the Negro Leagues being major leagues, really it's it's incontrovertible evidence, and you can't you can't really push back on it. I'm thank God we're there, but that implies that somehow I think as you sort of just alluded to, that's that they're. There was no baseball card at all. No, there was, even if it was just hearsay, and it wasn't just hearsay, people knew what this guy was. And obviously, even at least by the time he's lighting up San Diego for two seasons in the minors, people know what this guy is. So it's not as if he dropped from the sky and we didn't know what to do. And now suddenly we found out what his story was on his, on his home planet. People still knew, and it's, it is somewhat unconscionable that it has been such uh, a, a long haul for him and that even, you know, he personally witnessing falling short and really, really having his heart broken. Uh, it, you know, it, it is a tragic uh, a twist to this uh, story. That is such a shame because, you know, speaking to Iran, I mean, listen, there is no, there is no question. And now thank God, officially now there is no question. And, and now it's almost the, 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 the bureaucratic arrangement of, okay, when does he get in? Is it going to be another you know, four years or whatever to her next ballot? Or is it, does he get in now? At least there's the pressure where it's like, okay, this pot's really going to boil over uh, soon unless this guy gets into the whole thing. So thank God. And I have to say, like, I, I was not as clued into what the impact was of the, the Negro leagues seasons and the, the years that he was in the minor leagues when he was last on the ballot. I just thought he should be in because he was a pioneer and he had great numbers uh, in the AL and NL. I guess he just played in the AL. So, so I understand that some of this has taken time to, to come to the forefront of, of voters minds, but now this election, this one that's happening right now, there's no excuse. Like he's, He's a Hall of Famer. And I did predict earlier that I think he might be left out, but I do think that would be a travesty. I'm speaking with uh, Adam Dorowski here. Uh, we, I think, I think during the course of this podcast, we claimed him on waivers. He somehow was left available for um, SB Nation uh, blog um, membership. So yes, we've claimed the Southside Sox. Adam is now <laughs> on our team. So we are going to uh, beg his indulgence for just a few more minutes and talk about, oh, I don't know, a final guy. We're going to claim his White Sox, even though he did only have a couple of years. Uh, it's Jim Cott, who I think you've already alluded, has a fairly decent chance on the basis of him being alive and as silly as that sounds, well, based on how what the mode of operations been over the past decades or at least elections, it makes plenty of sense that Jim Cott gets pushed perhaps closer to the head of the class because, yes, on the merit of the fact that he has a Hall of Fame case and he's alive, a four-decade player, a three-time All-Star, it cannot be right. It has to be a misprint that he's a six-time Gold Glove winner, uh, 15, 16, 16, uh, 16, I'm sorry, 16. I can't <laughs> see my head is telling me, even though I see the number 16 here, I can't even, yes, six time in my head, 16 time Gold Glove winner in the notes, uh, an unbelievable defender, 50.5 war. Jaws has him as the 112th best starting pitcher of all time. Uh, his his uh, similarity scores on baseball reference every single season of his career matches up most with a Hall of Famer or a person who can make an absolutely legitimate case. And yes, I'll even include Jamie Moore. He pitched 800 years, but okay, just by war. Uh, yeah, if you're a big Hall person, that's the kind of guy who could actually have a case when we talk about Jamie Moyer. Uh, when you're still on the Southside Sox team, Adam, and we are both pushing nine <laughs> years old, uh, certainly um, 
a worthy Hall of Famer, uh, waived by the Twins. They panicked somehow. He had a great 1972. His 1973 was actually sort of lousy. Apparently the panic or the 40,000 or whatever they're paying him was too much. Waved him. White Sox said, oh, okay, thanks. And picked him up. And he actually had just a, a killer stretch for the White Sox, uh, even though their division hopes were flagging in the two season he pitched for him. He was a, a real standout there and took on a big workload. And hey, how were the twins to know that he was going to pitch another 10 or 12 years? Uh, Jim Cott seems to be positioned well for, for possible induction. He's alive to enjoy it. Uh, I forget what your prediction was. Uh, we've talked about so much stuff, but do you think Jim Cott actually makes the cut along with uh, Dick Allen this time around? If they did have three candidates, I, I think he could potentially get in there. I do think of the three living candidates, Oliva and Cott are, are better candidates and have a little bit more momentum than Maury Wills. Um, I just Maury Wills was a great player. I just don't think he's quite on, on the same level. Uh, you could make that case that Jim Cott isn't, I mean, it took him 25 years to get to that 50 war. Um, he's kind of a, he's your typical compiler. Uh, I think that he had enough seasons where he was really, I mean, his two best seasons actually were with the White Sox. So that was uh, uh, some, well, I guess you could say that 25 win season might be a, uh, a big one too for the twins there, but by in terms of wins above replacement his two best seasons were uh, with the white Sox. I mean, if I was just ranking the candidates on the ballot by merit, uh, Cot would be probably near the bottom for me. Uh, but I do think that he has enough of a case to be a serious candidate. And given the fact that he is alive, I think, we should really take that into consideration. Someone like him will probably eventually get in the Hall of Fame, so why not now? Mm-hmm. I mean, my ideal ballot, uh, I think, mirrored what you considered your ideal to be with Minoso, Allen, Cott, and Oliva, with spe- specifically uh, um, pushing Cott and Oliva to the to the front of the class there, even though they are worthy Hall of Famers. Push them ahead now because they are here to enjoy it. Uh, but when it comes down to it, Adam, is it a is it a two person election here? Do you think it's going to be a three player election? Uh, how do you, how do you see it in the Wrangler? We're about two weeks off, a little more than two weeks off. Uh, how do you think it's going to play out when it's announced? It is probably going to be two, uh, and that's that's probably uh, looking at it as from a, a, an optimistic viewpoint because it was zero. Last it's not time. zero. <laughs> <laughs> and and three has only happened the one time I mentioned right. um, for the pre-integration committee. And then that time that um, Tory Cox and LaRusa all came up on the today's game era and they took all the votes. They were all unanimous. And, and that was it. Yeah. That's the type of ballot that this is another great one. That's, that's going to split a lot of votes. I, it would, re- here's the thing. It would require candidates like Gil Hodges, Maury Wills getting like no votes yeah. to get three candidates here. And Gil Hodges did get four or less. They don't tell you the full results, but he, he didn't get enough to, to be listed among the top vote getters last time. And which is surprising because he's typically one that gets 50% of the mm-hmm. vote every single time one of these happens. So there are a lot of popular candidates, which is going to make it really, really difficult. It, 
it probably honestly comes down to the makeup of the group. Like, can they get along and decide what they're going to do as a group versus just voting on what they plan to go in with? Are we getting to the point, Adam, where, and not to say that people have necessarily squandered their votes in the, in the past. And, and I, I haven't, uh, you've got the other great uh, website put together with uh, Graham that, that allows you to basically look at all of these veteran candidates and see how they did in each of these votes, uh, incredibly uh, painstaking effort. And that's a pretty cool thing to check out too, as well on your, or on an offshoot of your website. But uh, do you, are, with some of the attention being paid and particularly with the shutout last time this came around, do you think, do you have some confidence that the people who are charged with voting are going to come close to maxing out their ballot for now and for the foreseeable future? And we're not going to get these weird, I'm voting for, I'm, I voted for one guy. On a, on a veterans committee? Yeah, I don't think we're going to get people voting for one guy like that. I think from what I've heard, like the committee last time when they found out <laughs> that they didn't agree and and didn't induct anyone, they were just like so frustrated because they spent so much time on it. I think I don't think they'll go into it again, taking the chance that that could happen again. Like, I think they're going to make sure that something happens here, mm-hmm. uh, whether they can agree on multiple candidates is going to be something to, to keep an eye on. I think they, they might, you know, they might go in and say, look, we messed up on Alan and Mio, so we got to get them in. They might go in and say, look, let's get the living candidates in. So it, it's going to take them agreeing on things. Um, I just don't know what that is going to be yet. And it'll be interesting to see. I just, like I said, I just hope that there are inductees two or more. Yeah. Hey, Southside Sox reader listener, maybe even viewer, you know what? We don't charge any more for these. We don't charge you any more for these great podcasts than the, all the regular run of the mill ones. They're all free. And you get something great like this Adam Dorowski one where we're talking Hall of Fame. We're talking four White Sox candidates, all who have at least an, uh, some chance of getting in and two pretty strong chances of getting in. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Uh, you know, maybe, who knows? I mean, I, Maybe in the future, the White Sox, you know, they're back, baby. So maybe, you know, they're just going to have like several candidates on ballots, like, you know, for the, for the near future. And we'll get to talk even more often. I mean, again, we have, you'll get the paperwork. We have actually, we're faxing it now. Uh, we have actually claimed you. So you, you'll get your Southside Sox um, jersey in the mail shortly. Uh, and I'll, you know, let you know all of the requirements uh, of you. Um, uh, actually, yeah, maybe none. But anyway, hey, listen, thank you for uh, taking the time out, spending so much time talking to me uh, about all this. I'm sure everybody listening is really getting a kick out of this. And we're really looking forward to what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. And hopefully there's at least one White Sox penalty that can be raised and, and flown uh, proudly and, and someone gets in because it's been a while. We've been waiting for some of these guys for a while and it's long since past due. Absolutely. And thank you so much for reaching out. This, this is exactly the type of stuff that I love to spend an evening chatting about. So this was great. Anytime. Let me know. Excellent. We will, I will, I will create something. I will create some reason <laughs> to talk to you again, uh, Adam. Uh, thanks everybody for listening, uh, watching, reading always uh, without, without all of you, we are not here. Well, Adam's here because he's the man. I'm not here. That's for sure. But thanks for listening. Uh, as always, we'll be back with another podcast for you. I'm sure sooner than you're ready for one. Uh, but until then, uh, enjoy this next 75.